0: Good morning, Trinity Church. My name is Jesse, and I'm going to be reading scripture today. This is, this is the word of the Lord. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and calling to him a child he put him in the midst of them and said truly I say to you unless you turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven whoever receives one such child in my name receives me these words are true and they can be trusted. Yes, give Jesse, please, yes. Please stay standing for just a moment and let's go to God together. God, we love you so much with the deepest parts of our heart, with every bit of our intellect, whether it's a lot or a little or our energy this morning, whatever we got, Lord, today, it's all yours. God, I pray that you would give us all a softness of heart of what you've got to say to each and every one of us, whether it's a first-timer here or somebody who has been here longer than I've been alive or whether it's me on stage or whatever, whoever God, that heart that, that needs that softness, that openness this morning, God, I pray that you would help us to have that. God, allow there to be a lightness and a peace and a joy that comes with being in your presence. Get us out of our own way this morning. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Good morning. My name is Ty Hill, and I am one of the next-gen pastors here at Trinity, and I'm the director of Trinity Kids. So these Sunday mornings are always fun for me because I'm down here just like crossing fingers, praying everything is doing okay down there. I'm so, so, so grateful for our mentors and our volunteers down there. Um, I want you to do this every Sunday, but especially today. Please, please, When you see them, if you're picking up your kids, express some extra gratitude down there. Um, They go through a lot on Sunday mornings. It's really a wild card of what Sunday morning is going to be like. uh, A thousand things go into every moment of what that moment is going to look like. Uh, So give them some love. If you're sitting in here and the spirit is moving and you watch that clock go a little bit long um, and you are being distracted um, from the moving of the spirit because you're like, man, sir, Long, don't let that distract you. Just think about my mentors. Think about the fires that they are literally probably putting out down there, hopefully not. Um, and, uh, and be sure to show them a little extra gratitude. Uh, I'm so excited to get to speak to you this morning about something that I am very, very, very passionate about. But before that, I want to appreciate the weather that we had this weekend. We are fully in fall it's been football season for a few weeks now, but it was like really football season yesterday. I had my TV out on the deck. I had my fire going in the backyard. I had apple cider for me and the kids. I just yesterday I was in my element. Do we, who here loves football? Is there, are we okay? Who here could not care less? A couple regardless, either way. Um, I respect that either way. Now, football fans, uh, well, I guess I could say more specifically, people who are not football or not sports fans in particular, you might look at sports fans and say, like, man, you guys are just like children. I mean, just like literal immature children. Here's the thing, we know. That's okay. We (laughs) fully, fully embrace that. I'm very aware. If you follow my wife on Instagram, uh, you saw some pictures during the Ohio State-Notre Dame game from a few weeks ago, and uh, I'm not proud of me like crumbling to the fore in panic and anxiety over a bunch of 18 to 23-year-olds playing on a field four hours away from me that has nothing to do with me. I'm not proud of that, but it's fun to be invested. That's what makes sports fun. If you don't care, don't watch, because then it's not fun. You have to be a little bit emotionally invested. Welcome to my TED Talk. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm going down a rabbit trail. But... But I know there's also a negative side to that. I'm not pretending we're innocent. I grew up 40 minutes from Pittsburgh, so I grew up, a Steeler fan note that I said, grew up. I'm not anymore not out of extreme bitterness. I just kind of faded away as I moved away. And one of the reasons why is my dad was a Browns fan. I was a Steelers fan. We lived 40 minutes out. We lived 40 minutes uh, from uh, Pittsburgh, so we went to a lot of Steelers Browns game, a good handful of them together at Heinz Field. So I would be decked out in my Ben Roethlisberger jersey and I'd be like ready like living my best life. My dad would simply be wearing like a Browns jersey or a Browns and I watched how every grown man we came across in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania treated my dad. Uh, And it was not kind. Hot dogs would fly. Words that I didn't know as an 11-year-old would fly. Uh, It was pretty wild. And there was like some serious deep-seated stuff that I think is why I started to step away from the NFL because of how I watched people act around my dad. College football is my love now. uh, And that's probably because I can at least blame the craziness on college kids. Uh, But still, even at that, I was at the... um, Louisville and IU played at Lucas Oil a few weekends ago, and I was at those game. And Kinsey and I uh, sat in the midst of a bunch of college students that had been um, preparing for the game all morning. And, (laughs) And as somebody who objectively is just there to watch a football game, I'm not in it. There's no anxiety. You just like observe the people around you, and you're like, okay. I'm probably a little bit like these people. I'm not doing the preparing that they're doing, but I'm a little bit like these people at other games. And it's just like, you guys sound like literal psychos, the things that you were saying, let alone them being like 18-year-olds that have been preparing. So that adds another element of child, uh, uh, childish behaviors. But it is wild. And now I will say, like, that isn't uh, just a men thing. That's not just a sports thing. We've all been watching the videos of the Eras tour, and we've watched... 35 year old woman sob in their chairs because of the presence of a pop star. Uh, so like we're all, we all have things that pull childlikeness out of us. Some of us, uh, it might be childish cartoons or movies that we like or books. There's something that pulls that out of you. It's natural for all of us. Uh, I didn't plan this. I literally was sitting there during the last song. I decided to do this. Uh, a good note for like public speaking and preaching. When you have one of those ideas at the last minute, you should never do it. Um, I'm not going to follow my own advice this morning. Uh, I thought back, uh, we're talking about today uh, the moment of Jesus Talking about uh, children, defending little children, saying, uh, To such belong the kingdom of God. And so, to get us in that mood, I want to sing a a children's song that I learned as a kid. Um, I grew up in Martins Ferry. I went to Martins Ferry First Christian Church. My family still attends there and serves there. Um, And uh, in junior church on Sunday mornings, uh, sometimes my mom, who led the worship uh, for the kids, would let us request a song, which nine times out of ten was a mistake. And one of our most requested songs. Uh, was called uh, Little White Box. Is there any chance anyone in here knows what that song is? Thank you. That makes me so happy. I've never run to anybody else. I won't make you sing it with me uh, because this is going to be something special. Uh, I'm not here to perform, but I want you to enjoy this moment. Uh, It's going to be awkward. That's okay. Uh, So here we go. If I had a little white box, Karen, put your phone away. If I had a little white box to put my Jesus in, I'd take him out and and share him with a friend. That's beautiful, isn't it? Yes, thank you. All right. Problem is there's a verse two. Uh, if I had a little red box to put the devil in, i 'd take him out and smash his face and put him back again. Thank you. That brings me such joy. Yes, yes. Josh, if you want to close with that, you have my permission. Uh, <laughs> so here 's my point. We all understand childlike joy. You have that song that you would never dare to sing uh, up here on stage or uh, songs that maybe don't quite sit the same as adults, which uh, a couple of us joked um, in office this week about how songs uh, from our childhood church aren't necessarily PC. Uh, (laughs) Some for good reason. Um, But regardless, we remember what it was like to be a child, whether you were a child in church or whether you were not. And we know that if you grew up in the church through many a song, many a Bible lesson, many a sermon, Jesus liked children. And that is what I want to talk about today. Um, there's a couple of ex- uh areas where this story is told. But today I want to mainly focus on Matthew chapter 18 and 19. And there is a grouping of a bunch of very popular teachings of Jesus that you've probably heard every single one of them, maybe, even if you didn't grow up in church. They're very popular ones. We've got the parable of the lost sheep. We've got the unforgiving servant. These are our big ones. Um, and in the midst of that, there are sprinkled in two moments where Jesus amplifies children. And here's what I want you to uh, look for as I list these. There is a synchronicity. Thank you, Jesus. I nailed that word. I've been practicing all week. There is a synchronicity of some of Jesus' central teachings and his amplification of children. There's a reason for that. If I said it wrong, no one correct me after this. I will ignore you walk away. Um, So here are some of the things that are taught from 18, 19, and then bleeding a little bit into 20. We have, who is the greatest? There's two different versions of this story between the Matthew uh, recollection and the Mark recollection, where in the Matthew recollection, they straight up ask Jesus. They say, hey, the disciples say, that's who the they is. uh, They say, hey, who is the greatest among us? And then in the Mark version, it's a little bit harsher. It's the disciples arguing amongst themselves who's the greatest. Jesus overhears them and says, what are you guys talking about? And they all just sit there silently. They know that they're not proud of what they were arguing about. But of course, Jesus already knew and he calls them out then. Then that's when Jesus goes into talking about, hey, bring this child over here. Bring this little child. So if Jesse was still in here, he would say, look at Jesse. You have to be more humble and be more like this child to get into the kingdom of heaven. That's his answer to them arguing. And that's also, to be noted, uh, where he also references one of my favorite passages uh, where Jesus says, listen, if you lead, if you are the reason that one of these are led away from the kingdom of God, it would be better for you to have a giant millstone strapped to your back and you'd be thrown into a lake. That's arguably the harshest thing Jesus said, and it was in defense of children. It's also probably what scares most of you from coming and serving in Trinity Kids with me. Because you're afraid. You're like, oh, no, I don't want to risk having a millstone strapped to my back. What a lame excuse. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, Uh, I'm a little bit of a loose cannon today. I can feel it. I can feel it boiling up. Uh, Then we have the parable of the lost sheep where Jesus, the shepherd leaves the 99 and finds the one, one that we know very, very, very much. We've heard a lot. Then we have uh, Jesus talking about restoring a brother, forgiving, bringing relationships back together, how to make that happen. Then he tells the parable of the unforgiving servant, which is about a servant who uh, was forgiven a great debt by a king. But then someone owed him money that was even less than he owed, and he forced them to pay him back. The king was very unhappy threw him in prison. Then we have uh, him, Jesus, talking about divorce. A, a Pharisee tried to trap Jesus into a conversation about divorce and said, hey, uh, are you okay? Are we allowed to divorce? And Jesus then breaks down why Moses even allowed it to begin with. Then... We have the moment, the very classic, the world famous Jesus saying, let the little children come to me. When Jesus was doing all this ministry, a bunch of children came to him. Parents brought their children to be blessed. And the disciples who really kind of get an unfair uh, criticism of being like grumpy, guys that don't like children. Um, really, they were just trying to protect Jesus because he has been multiple times before this passage been predicting his death. So they know they're in game time. Like, hey, he he's keeps saying he's going to die soon. Maybe we should keep the children away. Uh, and Jesus gets angry. Uh, he gets uh, frustrated with the disciples. A couple different of the passages use different words, but ultimately he's frustrated with the disciples said, no, let these little kids come to me for to them belong the kingdom of God, which is the section of the big story, kingdom come, that we are in. Then he goes from that, and this is not all in like one sitting. This is over a span of time, but Matthew and Mark put all of this together. Then we have uh, the rich young ruler, a guy who says, Jesus, how can I get to heaven? Jesus lists a few good things to come. And then he says, I've done that. What else? And Jesus said, hey, rich man, go sell all your possessions and uh, give it to the poor. The disciples, or I'm sorry, the rich young ruler then walks away sad and defeated because of that statement. And then Jesus goes on to talk about um, uh, possessions and how it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God but with God anything is possible and then finally it ends with the parable about the vineyard workers about how people were up uh, there were a bunch of vineyard workers that were being paid a day's wage and then guys got brought in at the last second they didn't work the whole day but they still got the same day's wage and the people who worked the whole day were upset and Jesus was saying stop worrying about that in kind of light of people who are coming to Jesus later than they did Jesus wants all of us in his embrace and it doesn't matter what that story is. It matters when they get there. So all that to say, essentially every theme in chapters 18, 19, and some to 20 of Matthew deal with some kind of self-status in some capacity. Lost, Lost sheep. He told that story because the 99 sheep were getting selfish about themselves. And he was saying, hey, do you not realize why I'm here? I'm here for the one. Of course, the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. So he says, this child who's not over there arguing like children, he's the greatest. He didn't say it that way, but that's kind of what he's saying. Be humble to children. You got to be more like this to get into the kingdom of God. And then you can go down the list of the restoring of the brother and forgiving. That's about status. Uh, Divorce, there's a whole level of status. And when I say status, I don't mean status like we're just trying to be on top. I mean the self-identifying badge that we put on us as well. Whether that's, I'm I'm not guilty for anything. I'm a victim. Or I am the greatest. at least I'm not one of those. That's what Jesus is addressing status-wise here. Then it's the rich young ruler. His, his identity was in his possessions and he struggled with that. The vineyard workers and, and how we can sometimes feel like I've been in church my whole life. What right does this guy have to come in here and act like he's filled with the Holy Spirit or something like that? Status is something we argue about a lot As Christians, as adults, adults make everything complicated. And when I think of status, when I think of uh, labels and badges and let's just say riches and possessions, um, one of the first things come to my mind with all grace included uh, is this area. This is Indianapolis, is Hamilton County and this area. We have a lot of status in a lot of different ways, and it doesn't matter who you are. I'm not just talking to the dentists in the room, and I'm not just talking to the philanthropist. Philanthropist, You know what I'm trying to say. We're going to leave it at that. I've already nailed one word that I tried to this morning. It's okay to mess up that one. I'm talking to every single last one of us. So I grew up in a lower middle class town, um, and then uh, I went to a small town college at Kentucky Christian University in Grayson, Kentucky. I lived in Wabash, Indiana, which is... Uh a, a town I love so much, but it's in the midst of farmland and all of that. Uh, that's where my wife and I met and worked in ministry together. And while we were up there, we worked with uh, residential youth. I was a pastor at a residential facility working with teens who had got themselves in a bind for a bunch of different reasons. And so I went from White's Residential and Family Services, where I was campus pastor working with these at-risk youth. And then I came down here to be a student pastor at a church in Fishers. And my wife and I talked a lot when we came down here about that shift So many of my kids up at White's Residential, they came from nothing. They had parents that were incarcerated. They were struggling with drugs. They were coming from very, very, very low-income areas, broken families. And I was getting to teach those kids that had nothing that they had everything that they had Jesus. It was one of the greatest honors of my life. Then, and please hear everything I say the next few minutes with a bunch of grace, but we came to Hamilton County to work with a bunch of teenagers who many of which— thought they had everything, and I had to convince them, you've got nothing if you don't have Jesus. That is a much harder, a very difficult shift that Kinsey and I made. And I, I was part of that kind of cultural shift. I want you to know how different this area was for me. If you grew up in Hamilton County or if you've been here a long time, most of us know. But in case you need a reminder, Hamilton County is not the rest of the United States of America. We live in a very unique area when it comes to status, when it comes to money, when it comes to position, all of that. It's a very, very, very unique area. When I came down here for the first time to visit with my wife to go to her father's house, uh, it was a very unique, I can remember what road we were on and everything where um, Kinsey was talking about her dad's house and like her neighborhood and how they have this cul-de-sac where they all hang out and it sounded like a really awesome community. We pulled in and I'm like, holy smoke, all these people are rich. And then we rode and we kept riding and I saw and I said, Kinsey, your dad's neighborhood has its own swimming pool. Like, that was a cultural shift for me. That wasn't a thing. Your town had one pool, maybe, and you were lucky if the water was clear. Like, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of, like, it's usually heavily, 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 heavily chemical. Now, I lived in a neighborhood with a pool and realized, oh, that's much more normal here. Like, that's a, a but that was a shocking thing. Who here has an HOA with a pool in their neighborhood? Okay, not as many people as I expected, but a good handful of us. Uh, if not, you might, you're like, oh, I don't want to admit I have my own pool in my backyard uh, or something like that. But all that to be said, Hamilton County is not the rest of the world. And there's, there's this realistic viewpoint that we have to acknowledge that we are not uh, uh, normal. That this battle for status and possessions that we are constantly putting ourselves through, every single one of us, no matter where you are on the economic scale, we're all feeling the weight of that. Being an adult is super duper complicated. And that is fully and totally our fault. Especially if you are already a believer. The gospel of Jesus Christ has an answer for every one of these issues. And I think that's why Jesus was amplifying these children. The gospel of Jesus has all of these answers. The reality is the the, the gospel of children is very simple and straightforward. And the gospel of adults, we make it so, 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 so complicated. So let's look at children for a second. Children are a couple things. One, they're needy and they're dependent, right? They are, uh, everything that they need comes from you. If they don't have you, they've got nothing that goes with them. Secondly, they function on emotion rather than reason. That is something that is very, very, very difficult for me. I'm a very rational person. I'm able to think through things. And when my daughter is having a meltdown for absolutely no reason but because she wants to have a meltdown, that is one of my biggest testing points. And then finally, they are gross. They are disease-ridden cesspools that have given me pink eye twice in the last year after not having it since I was four years old. Uh, That has nothing to do with my sermon. I just had to get that off my chest for a second. Um, (laughs) So children are needy. They're dependent. They function on emotion. They've got all of these things. Some of us in here, I'm not going to make anybody raise hands. We love kids. Um, and most of which, if you do, you're probably one of my mentors and I love you deeply. Uh, there's some of us in here that are like, ah, I'm indifferent to children. There are some of you that I definitely won't make you raise your hand. You don't like children. It's a personal preference. I get it. Uh, and I just assume you haven't met my children because they're perfect little angels that nobody would ever dislike. Um, but here's the reality. Jesus amplified them for a reason. And there's a couple things that I want to look at. Firstly, children are outrageously humble. They have humility. Now, do children like to think they're superheroes and they're the greatest thing on earth and that they are faster than everyone on the playground? They're taller than everyone on the playground. Absolutely, but children are not dumb in the sense of, of actually how needy they are. They have humility because they know that they need you for everything. They're so high and mighty when they're able to get the pantry themselves, but if you put one of those little tiny plastic knobs on your doorknob, all of a sudden they're completely helpless and their life is over because they can't get into the snack drawer or something like that. Children are incredibly humble. Now, when Jesus says of children, for two such belong the kingdom of God, he doesn't mean the kingdom of God is possessed by the cute and the innocent, but by the helpless and the needy. Jesus didn't pull that child aside and say, be like this, because it was a cute little child. He was pointing out, hey, this child does not think that they're about to save the world. This child doesn't think they're more important because of their possessions. This child came here to see me. And this child realizes that they need others to be able to maintain their life, to be safe, to be secure, to be uh, exactly what they need to be. Even when children are ungrateful, they know that they need you. We as adults, when we get ungrateful, we start blocking people out. Our children want to throw a fit, but they know that they still need you. Now, we hate as adults feeling helpless. We, f- we, we hate feeling like things are out of our control. Angry, anger about not being in control is pride. Anger about not being in control is pride. Pride. It's acting like we are the solution to our problems and every single one of us adults do it every single day. Something goes wrong when we start flipping our lids in some way, shape, or form internally or externally because we think we have to have control of where every single die lands and anything outside of that is unfair chaos. But here's the thing. We are helpless. Helpless is how we receive Jesus. His work is among the empty-handed and the weak. He was showing children, saying, this child knows that he needs me and he needs his parents. In the same way as we and we believers, we need to acknowledge and realize that we need him every single day, period, point blank. We are not saved by works alone. We, we, we can't get our way to heaven. We can gather all this money. We can do all this work, and it's all mush the moment that we die. We can't take it with us. Everything good in our life comes from above. Everything that we need in this life comes from him. And ultimately, our salvation, the whole reason we're here, Jesus died, came back to life, paid the price for you and me, knowing that we couldn't do a drop of it ourselves. And we get so caught up in every single day trying to act like we are enough, trying to put ourselves up on this pedestal if I'm trying hard enough. And Jesus like, slow down. I don't need you to try to have it all together. I don't need your hard work. I don't need your possessions. I don't need your status or your badge. I need you to realize that you need me and I want you to watch me walk through life with you. We can learn that from children. Children also have trust And obedience. And some of the parents in the room are like, What are you talking about? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, they do. Children trust you implicitly. Even if you don't have children, if you walk down the hall down to Trinity Kids, the reason we have a lot of uh, uh, security measures and stuff like that is because children are inclined to trust adults. Even when they're not obedient, even when they fight back against obedience, they still know, my daughter, when she's fighting me, when she's pushing back, when she's trying not to do what I say, she knows, and I know that she knows, that I'm her safe place still. She could be screaming at me, throwing one of her all-time great temper tantrums, but if all the something, something big and scary happens, bam, she's attached to my leg. No matter how mad she is at me, no matter how frustrated she is at me, covered in snot and tears... One loud thing happens that she wasn't expecting. Bam, on my leg. The same goes for my son. Children trust implicitly. Like children implicitly trust their parents, followers of Jesus are called to trust God. That trust in him, even when life is terrifying and sad and makes no sense, is what makes a believer like a child. His welcome is a welcome of neediness of smallness, of those who don't know how to feed themselves or tie their own shoes or wipe their noses. He wants you to come to him like a kid, maybe a kid that needs carrying, Trusting God every step of the way, knowing that no matter how chaotic life gets, no matter how messy life gets, no matter how out of control and frustrating and overwhelming life gets, do you know that even when you're most angry at God, he's your safe place? Do you know that when you are farthest from him, he is one step away? You could have spent the last six years in a dead sprint the opposite direction, doing everything you can getting away from him, and he is one step from you. For you to grasp onto his leg like a little child and be safe again. God doesn't need you to be big, He doesn't need you to be tough. I know there are are a lot of pastors and teachers out there that are all about the gung-ho of of manness and and courage and and, and, uh, aggressiveness. Uh, But realistically, when I read my Bible, every bit of that courage that the Bible talks about, 0% of it comes from my own chest sticking out. Coming from me (laughs) clinging to the father knowing, oh, do you know who my dad is? My dad can beat up your dad, I'm good. That's what courage actually is. It's not me beating anybody up. It's about knowing who my dad is. It's that very age old argument that many of us had when we were kids. It's clinging to dad's leg, saying, I know that this guy has got me. That's what courage is, and that's what trust is, and that's what obedience is. Trusting that even if you don't know what that next step is, if you're clinging onto dad's leg, you are good. Finally, children have the best quality, arguably, about them that I believe they have joy. Childlike joy is something we're all familiar with. I would say walk down into Trinity Kids and hear joy, but that's not always the case. Sometimes you overhear the nursery or the toddler room, and it is not joy coming from that room. You can ask Miss Grace Chitty or ask Jess or something like that. Sometimes that noise coming out of there is pure fear and panic and chaos, and that's okay too. But children have a natural inclination to joy. Every single one of us, when we were children, we had that natural inclination, and at one point it went away, it was gone. And I don't always know why. We don't have that natural. We have to get there. Can you think of the last time? Some of you will be able to. Can you think of the last time that you lost control in laughter? Like legit couldn't breathe? Like sucking for air, thinking I might die, but like what a way to go. When was the last time you did that? Because I had a moment. This was I mean, my last time was a couple months ago. I mean, probably five months ago, maybe, we were playing a board game with my in-laws and cousins. And I can't even, I'm not going to explain this story to you because it'll make no sense to you and it won't be funny to you, but that's the point. My sister-in-law said one thing and it just unlocked me. And I was honest to the good Lord on, on the ground, gasping for air, trying to breathe with tear and snot coming down my face. That was like when I finally collected myself a good 25 minutes later, I sat there and thought, when was the last time I felt that? It's been a long time, long time. And that's like something we've all experienced though. And many of us probably think, I can't think of the time before that. And some of you are probably thinking, yeah, I I can't think of the last time either. But children are so naturally joyful. I was a joyful child. I have too many home videos to prove that. My family, every time my birthday comes around, my family... Uh, reminds me how boring my birthdays are now compared to when I was a child. I was the kid who ripped open the present very emphatically, lost my ever-loving mind no matter what the present was. If it was a video game, I'm running laps. If it was Pokemon underwear, I was running laps. I was a happy, joyous kid. There are videos of me wearing said Pokemon underwear on my head, doing laps in my neighborhood. Not proud of those moments, but my point is I was a joyful child. I don't recommend any of you do that today because we're going to have, I do not want blame for whatever legal fines you end up with. Um, children have joy, natural, natural joy. And most of us feel like joy is unobtainable or it's something you have to work up to. And many of us have heard the argument point that joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness is that feeling that you get. That, that when something good happens and you feel happiness, joy is an act of choice that is built into you. And that is true, but I also want you to hear the difference between optimism and hope. Sometimes we feel like we have to be optimistic to have joy and pretend that nothing bad is happening, but that's not true. John Mark Homer says it this way, optimism and hope are not the same thing. Optimism is a self-help trick where you tell yourself things are going to get better, but hope. Hope is that God is with us and all will be made well. Happiness can happen. It can come and go. You can still be sad. Tears are going to happen. Bad days are going to come. Frustration, stress, anxiety. But joy is the understanding all will be well. All is going to be well one way or another. Now, I would not consider myself an optimist. I wouldn't consider myself a pessimist either. I'm very annoying to my wife in the way that I, like, I consider myself a realist. And so I like to break down the facts, push the emotion out of it, which really does good for your marriage. Just like, oh, emotions don't matter. Let's just look at the facts. That works out for me every time, as you do. it does. not um, I like to look at moments and analyze them and strip them down in that way. And, and, and sometimes I can come across when I'm trying to pastor people or comfort people or disciple people, I can come across unempathetic when that is so genuinely not what I mean, but When someone comes to me with an issue, I think often as Christians we have to feel like this person did a bad thing and they're going to be taken care of. Or this person is off doing this, but don't worry, they're going to learn their lesson and come back. But sometimes they don't. Good guys don't always win. People who make bad choices sometimes succumb to those bad choices. They continue to live in those choices. We all know those situations in our life. But what we get to know is we don't have to break down. We don't have to try to predict the future for everything to be okay. We don't have to create the scenario of like, you know what? Everything's going to be okay with my child because this is what's going to happen. You can't do that. You can't blueprint your future, but you know what God knows, and you know what God has told you, that he's got you, he's got your kids, he's got your family, he's got your spouse, he's got your friends, he's got the entire financial situation that you are stressed about, he's got your job, he's got your brokenness all wrapped up in the palm of his hand, and he said, I've got you That's the difference of optimism and hope. Optimism is where you try to help yourself by, let's block out the bad things and just think about what maybe could happen in a good way. That's not where joy comes from. Joy comes from knowing the hope that I have in my Savior forever and ever and ever. How often do you think about heaven? I'd argue probably not enough about most of us. We get so caught up in this moment. How is God going to provide for me today How is he going to provide for me tomorrow? I have this bill coming up in three weeks. I catch myself so often forgetting about the final promise. Forgetting about the end of this book. Forgetting about the fact that Jesus said, if you are in me, you win. Period, point blank. I don't got to tell you how it ends in the sense of your specific story. You might not know when you pass. You might not know what what your life's going to look like when that comes. You might not know when Jesus is coming back, but guess what? You win. I've got a place provided for you. And the Bible says it's not even worth comparing to what you're going through now. And that is promised, set in stone if you've given your life to Jesus. It's there. You're going to it. And we are so, all of our joy is stripped from us because we allow it to be in our day-to-day life because we are so wrapped up in what's going through now, forgetting God has already won. Jesus already paid the price and he has offered us joy with that, peace with that. The Bible calls it a peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make sense to the people around you. A joy that doesn't make sense to the people around you because you are secure on the ground knowing whose leg you are holding on to. Joy is available. Regardless of one's circumstances, childlike joy is available inside every single one of us. As an often untapped reservoir of, of potential, it requires something heavy in return. Surrender. Perfect, beautiful, liberating Surrender. Everything on this earth that you cling too tightly from sucks the joy from you. If you take your children's future and put it solely in your hand, you are going to be a miserable parent. I don't mean you're going to be a a bad parent. You're going to be miserable because you're going to think everything they do wrong is your fault. Every step that they take in the direction you didn't want them to is your fault. Every choice that they make that has absolutely nothing to do with your parenting is your fault and you're going to be miserable. But if you trust that they are God's way before they're yours, there's a joy that comes with that. There's a comfort that comes with that. There's a peace that comes with that. If the finances are fully in your control, you're going to be in bad shape when things start to fall apart. But if you're able to trust Jesus and say, okay, that money in the bank account has gone dramatically low, but God has promised... My daily bread, in whatever way that looks, there's peace that comes with that. There's comfort that comes with that. And there's joy that comes with that. Your joy is not dependent on your bank account. Your joy is not dependent on the choice your kids make. Your joy is not dependent on where you are at in whatever mistakes that you made yesterday or the bad season that you're in. That right now you can understand that there is a loving father on your side, by your side, with you every step of the way, loving you deeply, building a future and a plan for you. If you just allow yourself to accept that, we as adults so often adult the joy out of Christianity. I don't care. I don't care if you raise your hands during worship. I don't care if you rock side to side. I don't care if you let the Holy Spirit move you around a little bit. This isn't a Pentecostal church. I'm I'm not trying to move us in that direction. But I know there are people in this room that aren't feeling the joy that is blasted in the songs that Josh sang this morning because you're allowing yourself to be distracted by things that aren't in your control anyways, that are in the control of the Father who loves you. You can raise your hands and feel joy during those songs, regardless of how your morning is gone, regardless of what's happening after church today, regardless of how work went last week or what you're dreading about it this week, whatever the case may be, joy is a choice. I'm going to invite Josh up and then I want to finish with this concept that I want you to get, even if you missed a lot of what my sermon was, I want you to hear these next two things. There's this phrase that I use a lot when I'm trying to preach about Trinity Kids, when I'm trying to get people to understand that the stuff that happens down there is as much church as it is in here. That is not child care for you. I'm glad parents in this room. Yeah, I'm going to get Matthew Hines all riled up this morning. Uh, he's going to be real excited. Um, What happens down there is not me babysitting your kids so that you can sit in there. That is church. That is discipleship. And the same at 11 a.m. at this campus, there is TSM 58 for fifth through eighth graders in this room right here, right next to us. That is not a place for your preteen that you just need out of your hair for an hour to go while you experience church. That is church. TSM that happens tonight at East Fishers at 6 p.m. That is church, even though there's people getting shot with Nerf guns during it and all kinds of crazy stuff going on there. So this thing that I say often is there is no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. There's not like big boy junior Holy Spirit that you guys get in this service and then like junior Holy Spirit floats down the hall and is with, with your kids. That's not the case. Everything that's happening in this building is God ordained. At least that's our desire when we call him into it and we do our best to do our planning and structuring to get him involved in that. Every single bit of it. And I think naturally in our human brains, we treat the church like kind of out. NEI, this campus is set up where we have this, you go down the hall a little bit and then there's middle school ministry and then you go down the hall a little bit more and there's kids and you're like, okay, where do I draw the line of where real church is? And so I use this phrase as kind of me a battering ram to try to say no, this is church. I'm not babysitting your kids. I'm introducing your kids to Jesus alongside you and alongside the mentors and the prayer wars to pray from. So, okay, whew, that's not actually what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say, if that is true, The inverse is true for you. The kids aren't little babies that are getting the junior Holy Spirit. They are children of God who are experiencing him in creative ways down there, having real interactions with him. So the inverse is true for you over here. Those kids don't just get this love, cuddly, friendly Jesus that you guys don't have access to anymore You didn't grow out of sitting on Jesus' lap. You're an adult. You're mature now, some of you. It's okay to laugh. You're still his child. And when you step away from him, It breaks his heart. And I don't say that to make you feel bad about the moments that you've stepped away from him. I want you to hear how much your father loves you and wants you to cling to his leg. He's available to you. He loves you so, so much. And yet we grow out of that feeling. We think we need big soldier God instead of loving father God. We are broken, helpless children that are just stumbling around like my son trying to learn and to walk in shoes that are too big. We're just falling so much and every single time we fall, God isn't kicking you and say, tough it out. Get up, get on your feet, let's go. I've been to a couple Pee Wee football games or middle school or elementary school football games in the last couple weeks and, and I, I watched uh, Jess and Karen's sons play football and I watch how gentle they are with their kids and loving their kid, with their kids There are and then you see the other parents put your helmet on, get up, walk it off, breathe. That isn't how God works with you. He picks you up, he dusts you off and he says, let's keep going. I'm with you every single step this way. I'm not throwing you out in the football field and saying, figure it out. Even if you get concussion after concussion, figure it out. Sorry, no, that wasn't a shot at you. He says, let's walk through this life together. He loves you so much. You never grow out of being God's little child and don't you dare grow out of the infinite joy and peace that comes with the gospel. Here's what I, I want you to hear is the last one-liner that's going to sound very, very harsh, and I need you to hear it with grace. I believe this with my whole heart, and it still might sound a little unfair. If you are overwhelmed with anxiety right now, not if you struggle with anxiety that that maybe a therapist has worked. This isn't a shame thing. If you are struggling with being distracted in church this morning, if you are struggling with feeling like you're overwhelmed with your worries, here's what I want you to hear. This one line, and then I'm gonna explain it a little better. If you are overwhelmed by that stuff, you aren't fully grasping the gospel this morning. That's not a shame thing. We all do it. Every day we struggle with fully grasping the gospel. If the gospel is true, we're good. If the gospel is true, My kids are in his hands, not mine. If the gospel is true, my finances are fine because he's going to provide if I trust him with them. He's got a plan for me and a path for me if the gospel is true. So we're going to end with this. We're going to do a practice. I'm going to have you close your eyes for a second. And I want you to go to the most childlike state that you can. You gotta fold your hands and close your eyes like you're being told in children's worship to pray, even though that's not an actual requirement. It's just so that you don't, I wanna make sure you're not holding your phone right now or getting distracted or whatever. I want you to think, go back to you as a child, pick an age, four-year-old, five-year-old, eight-year-old, whatever the most fun age of your life was. What brings you back there? Is it a show? Is it a cartoon? We got some Looney Tunes in the room or some SpongeBob. Maybe you're thinking of a weird commercial that you remember seeing a lot as a kid, Maybe you think of your favorite toy growing up. Now I want you to hear this. See this world around you? these trees, these mountains, these stars. There's a God that made all that. It couldn't have come from nothing. There's a God that created all of that with his words. He's so powerful. He's so big. He holds the entire universe in its place just by deciding so. He created all of that. And not only that, he created all humans. And he decided, hey, I love them and I care for them. They're special to me. And throughout the expanse of time and humanity's existence, he's watched everything go on down here. Billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of people that have been on this earth. He's watched all of it. And yet in this moment, on October 8th at 10 o'clock in the morning, he's been with you. watching you. He loves you. You're his child that he wants on his lap. He loves you so, 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 so stinking much. And he's with you every single moment of today and every day. And there's not what your finances are going to be the thing that he stops providing for today. What, your kid made the choice last week that is like, oh, he's done with them now? No, he loves you and your family so much. Will you trust him? Will you let yourself feel some joy for the first time in maybe a long time? Because you know it's not in your hands, it's in His. The God of the universe has your life and your story in His hands. Will you live your your life for just a moment today? Believing that and go forth knowing you are not some big, tough adult that's got it figured out. You are his baby boy. You are his baby girl. Your family is his, and he's got you. God, thank you. We love you. We trust you. God, this morning, myself and the rest of us in this room, we cling to your leg tightly. Knowing that you have us every single step of the way. God, we speak against worry, not because those things aren't worrisome, but because you have got us. God, we speak against anxiety. God, we speak against financial troubles, not because we're about to get rich, but because we know that you have got us. God, we speak against fear and sadness. God, not because fearful and sad things happen and we feel those emotions, but because we know that no matter what those things are, we are your child sitting on your lap and you've got us. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to pay the price for me and every man, woman and child in this room even though we didn't deserve it and thank you that we can accept you and your story and what you did for us right here, right now. We love you, Lord.